Hi, I'm Monty Sharp, and I'd like to welcome you to the Gatekeepers Initiative. What in the world is a gatekeeper, you may ask? I'm so glad you asked. The world's gatekeepers proclaim that they're protecting their community, but in reality, they're elevating themselves by denying others entrance to the community by belittling and devaluing them. God's gatekeepers protect their communities through loving devotion to those around them. They're there to encourage that which is good and reject that which brings harm. So let's take a deeper dive today in how God is calling you to be a gatekeeper. Today we're going to talk about a a powerful human characteristic that is so important, but it's woefully, really woefully missing in our culture. Seems like I say that often because there's a lot of things that are, Um, but but this is one that probably most people don't talk about even. The topic we're going to pick on is is humility. And humility is something we don't talk much about uh, because there's so much hubris and, you know, and pride and arrogance and People are, you know, attacking each other, really taking each other down. We're humiliating instead of humbling ourselves. We're we're doing that to others. So I think it's very important. And hopefully this will be the beginning of helping to change the culture, at least in our environments, and open the doors for us to be able to see the Lord bring blessing in the process of that. I want to start off with Webster's Dictionary definition of humility. And this is kind of mind-boggling, so I hope you're ready for this. Webster's defines humility as freedom, freedom from pride and arrogance. Isn't that an interesting way to be able to describe humility? It goes on and says uh, a modest estimation of our own worth, but it starts off with freedom, freedom from pride and arrogance. We've talked a lot about freedom on this podcast and and the importance of it and the gift that it is from God and it's things that we're running into constantly that they're being taken away. But Jesus came to set the captives free. We see that in Luke 4.18. And set the captives free because that's what Jesus is all about. There's so many things that hold us in captivity, lies and half-truths and people putting us down and, and those kinds of things. And even our own mistakes and having a hard time getting over them. But freedom is critically important. And he's saying that one of the things that helps set us free is humility. Free from what, you may ask? Well, let's start off with just simply free to climb the highest mountain we'll ever climb in life, and that is getting over ourselves. You know, when when we are so full of ourselves, we are miserable for the most part, because no matter how good you are, you see somebody else better. And no matter how big a mistake that you make, you know, you, you turn around and get angry then that you're not getting what you should be getting. And humility puts us in that sweet spot of recognizing who we really are, who Jesus has really made us to be, getting a true understanding of who we really are, what our identity really is all about. And there's something freeing in that. Then we're not looking and comparing ourselves. We understand that God made me in this way, and he's remaking me and shaping me in in even better ways as I walk with him. And it allows me to be free from comparing myself to others and saying, I wish I had what they had, and I, you know, how come they get all the attention, all those kinds of things. It is a great uh, place to be in life. Jesus even tells the story about 
you know, when you're at a, a table and invited to a rich man's house, make sure you sit at the end of the table, away from the better seats. And then when the host comes and looks at you and goes, oh my goodness, what are you doing sitting way back there? You need to move up. Then everybody at the table looks at you and goes, why is he so special? But if you sit up at the head of the table and they move you to back to the back, it's pretty humiliating. So you can see just in common sense every day, humility brings people around us that want to hear what we have to say, and want to hear opinions, want to, want to know why we are how we are. So we're solely missing that today. So I want to take a deeper dive in it and see what God says about humility. James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud. Wow. Man, we could stop right there and just go, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't want to be in that situation where God is opposing me. How could you even resist against him? If God himself, the creator of all things, opposes you, there's no way that you'll ever win. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace, undeserved favor to the humble. Colossians 3.12 tells us, As those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of humility. God chose you, you know? So, so be humble. This is a commandment. Put on the heart of humility. And if you're seeking personal or professional honor, it will never come, at uh, least lastingly, until we put humility first. Proverbs 15, says, Before honor comes humility. Can't tell you the number of times I've quoted that verse to uh, young, especially young, zealous Christian males <laughs> that I've talked about that with. You know, we, we get ourselves full of a little bit of information and feel like we know it all and, and, you know, can't learn anything anymore. So it's just a good thing to be able to remind those around us too. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. That's a miserable place to be when you get humbled. Especially miserable when God humbles you because it comes pretty harsh sometimes. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, but whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And when God exalts you, man, that's something special to be able to look at. Jesus is clear in the command and is also clear in regards to the consequences of ignoring it. So I hope that as we go through this today, that all of us are saying, Lord, there's probably some work that you could be doing in my heart and in my mind. Help me to understand and change my heart today to want what you have for me. And what you have for us is to be humbly walking with our God. Do I hear an amen on that? Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you out there have children? If you do, what robs you of your desire to bless them and to give them some special talent or sp special gift or something that you know that they want even before they ask for it? What robs you of that? And not just with our kids. What robs you of the desire and the joy of giving to others? I think you can probably answer that question, huh? It's their pride. It's their arrogance. It's their defiance. When they say, why should I thank you for what you owe me? I mean, I deserve it. You're my parents. You're supposed to give me these things. You're my friend. You're supposed to give me these things. I am your boss. You're supposed to give me these things. Can you relate? Don't you just hate those attitudes? We're hardwired to feel repugnance when we encounter them. They pillage the giving heart 
robbing it of desire to give. We hate it, and so does Jesus, as it hinders his great desire to bless us. We see it happening not only in the individuals around us today, we see it happening in our country. We see it happening around the world. Especially we see it happening in God's children because we have forgotten who our maker is and from whence we get all the blessings. That's from him. How are we hindered by our pride and arrogance, our lack of humility? Are we lacking humility? That's a good question, huh? I think we probably all need to be asking ourselves that. Because it's oftentimes to be, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. I think I find myself pretty humble. I, you know, I, I do this and I let other people go first. And I'm not always promoting myself out there. But there's so many ways that that little demonic spirit creeps into our lives in the corners of this part of our life or that part of our life. And of course, it doesn't just stay there by itself. It looks to expand its territory over and over again, not only in our life, but in the lives of the people around us. James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. In other words, there is nothing in our lives that Jesus hasn't brought to you out of his blessings, how our Heavenly Father hasn't given to you, including our health, our happiness, our homes. How about our hair? Uh, bottled water? You like bottled water? Is that convenient? Our sight, our hearing, our jobs, our families? Wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. I got my job. Really? Who gave you the intellect and the ability to learn? Who gave you the opportunity to learn? Who gave you the, the opportunity to be able to look at that? It's, it's God the Father that does that. Our jobs, our families, our toys, our country, our freedoms, our food, our protections, our legal rights, our provisions and electricity and ease of life compared to the rest of the world, our recreation and TV and cars and schools and phones and iPads and iPhones and Starbucks. Yeah, I did say that. And computers and running water and showers. Oh, man, praise the Lord for that. Uh, especially when you're thinking of your friends, right? And our toilets. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Remember what happened when toilet paper was not available? And what panic it threw through our entire country? God gives us those things. Our AC and our heat, internet, our amazing cities, the air that we breathe, our freeways and roads and grocery stores and clothing. The point is that we could go on and on and on. Every single thing that we have that has any good to it comes from our Father of Lights above. And that isn't even talking about his loving kindness, his grace, undeserved favor, his mercy, not giving us what we do deserve. All these things that he provides for us. The prideful will think in his heart, but I deserve these things. I have a right to these things. I worked hard for them. Maybe it's true. But who gave you the ability to work? Even the drive to be successful. Every good thing bestowed comes from God above. When was the last time we really thanked Jesus for any of these things? I mean, since we are daily in receipt of all of these things, shouldn't we also be daily giving thanks for them? I have so many friends who go, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for. So how about you just start thanking God for everything around you that's good? If we would open our eyes and hearts, everywhere we look, we see some kind of blessing that God gives to us. The sunset incredibly beautiful sunsets, a butterfly. Hopefully you didn't hit it with the front window in your car. But everywhere we look, we see something that is amazing. Are we stopping and taking the time to thank him for those things? 
And how about the forgiveness of our sins and our redemption? Again, God's grace and mercy that bought us salvation, the salvation of our souls. The ever-presence, how about the ever-presence of his Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's there empowering us and directing and instructing, instructing us and teaching us daily if we'll open our hearts and minds to it. Which of these can we claim credit for? And yet, how often do we act like we've claimed the credit? You know, I've got it, God. I've got this one handled. What a stupid statement. But how many of us have, in so many words, made those, that same claim? It's okay, God, I've got this one. I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to seek your help. I don't need to seek your, your blessing on this. You know, Romans 3.23 tells us all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 2.10 says, if you keep the entire law and stumble on one point of it, you're guilty of all of it. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death. Good news is, of course, that we have salvation through Christ. But we face, every one of us deserve and we face eternal damnation apart from God's gifts. Are we thanking him every day for that? I mean, think about that. If somebody was able to give you a cure, because you're, you're literally on the edge, the precipice of dying tomorrow or the next day, and they brought you a, a cure that gave you health, good health, for the rest of your life, would you ever lose thankfulness to them for what they gave you? And then especially if your life ended up being so good that, and realizing that every day that you would have missed out on this and you'd have missed out on your kids growing up and you'd missed out on, on meeting your spouse and you'd missed out on, on making a difference in the world and you'd have missed out using this talent and this ability. You'd be so thankful. Jesus has done that for us. When was the last time we thanked him for that very thing? Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteous works are as filthy rags. In the Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, that term filthy rags is a term that was used for a woman's menstrual rag. That's pretty provocative, huh? I used tampon or cotex in today's vernacular. I didn't say that, God did. He wanted us to understand what he thinks about our self-righteousness. He doesn't think much of it at all. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace we are saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of our works that no man could boast. God doesn't want us standing before him, thumping our chest, saying, let me in because I deserve it. The only answer that we've got that will get us into heaven as we're standing before the pearly gates, somebody once said, is to look at Jesus and say, Lord, you said if I accepted you as my Lord and Savior, really did that, that I would be saved. And Lord, I did. You know that. So excuse me, I'm coming in. And watch him grin and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But better yet, how about if we start thanking him here on, on earth on a regular basis? What an amazing grace. What sacrificial, unselfish love. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for us, Philippians 2, 8. When was the last time we bent our knees and our hearts to really think about who and what we are apart from Jesus and where we would be without him? So let's take the time when we get through listening to this podcast or shut it down for a little bit and start thanking him for what he does in our lives. It's a great way 
to start humility growing in our hearts and in our minds. And think of all the abundance that he gives us, the protection and the prosperity and the power and the provision that he's given us as a nation. How are we responding to it? We've allowed him to be taken out of our schools, out of our government, out of our public discourse, even our private discourse, out of the teaching of our children, out of our history, out of the very fiber of our national souls. Is that not arrogance and pride? Is that not defiance to stand with hand upraised and proclaim our independence of the one who gave us all of these things, who gave us our independence to begin with? Isaiah said it well in Isaiah 45:20. Deceived hearts have turned us aside. We cannot deliver ourselves, nor can we even recognize that we hold this lie in our right hands. The right hand is a place of power and authority. In other words, we've allowed the lies of this world to be able to have authority and power over what we think and who we are. And no wonder we find ourselves in these states of pridefulness and arrogance because the enemy knows what destruction and damage they bring to our life and to the lives around us and to our country. What lie? How about the lie that we don't need Jesus? That we are self-righteous, self-sufficient, and more capable of providing our prosperity and protection and power without him. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Cursed is a man who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from thee. Because of your trust in your own achievements and treasures, even when you yourself are going to end up being captured. Psalm 33, 16 says, The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse, in our culture it would be a tank or an airplane, is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Verses 18 and 20, it's the Lord who delivers helps and, and shields those who, who wait and trust. It's the Lord who delivers and helps and shields us, especially those who wait and trust and rejoice in him. I might add, if we have humility. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Are you getting it? All the good stuff, all the values and the characteristics that we want, all the things that that make for success in life, that bring us peace and pleasure, joy and fulfillment, they all come from the one who loves us. Are we walking with him? Are we thankful for what he gives us? As you can see over and over again, God disciplined the rebellious nations that he had blessed when they arrogantly turned from him. Assyria, Israel, perilous much today. In fact, so many times when I read the scriptures about them, I fear for our nation because God has put up with more here in the United States with us in the United States than he ever has with them. And he would really whack them pretty hard. How can God continue to bless America and us when we willfully and arrogantly turn our backs to him? Not me, we say, many of us say, but we do. How about as an example? Those of you that are voting, first of all, let me say, if we really love God and we really want God's blessing, God has given us stewardship responsibility to pick our leaders, to pick our laws. Only country like that for all of history until he did that here with us. What a privilege, what a gift, that freedom, freedom. When was the last time that you voted? Are we exercising our stewardship responsibility for voting in those elections? 
if every Christian that named the name of Jesus as their Savior in this country voted and voted God's values, we would own every election. Every election. And we wouldn't find people in there that are so contrary to the heart and the will and the purpose of Jesus for us. So, we say we're not arrogant, but if we're not voting and we're not voting God's values, then basically what we're really saying is, I know better than God. We've evaluated it. This person would probably be the best person to get elected, but they don't follow God's ways, God's will. We need to be that way. We need to be praying for God to bring good men and women that will do God's will into office, that he'll raise them up to run, and that he'll put them there. The Lord tells us that he establishes kings and he removes kings. So it's going to be Jesus that's either going to bless us if we humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, guide us and direct us in these choices. Or if we are arrogant, he may just simply say, I will give you what you deserve. And I think that's a lot of that's been going on today, especially we as gatekeepers. We need to be asking for God's blessing and making choices that will honor him in our leadership. I've not hidden thy righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the congregation. Psalm 40, verse 10. David said that. We are too often hiding the righteousness of God in our hearts, but we're not speaking them. We're not being faithful to share that with the people that don't know Jesus yet. We're not talking about the real source of salvation, saving us from the difficulties that we're facing and saving us from all the things that would hurt us in life, saving us for blessing and purpose in our families. We're not sharing those things with people around us. God has given us so much, but we keep our mouth shut. We're afraid that somebody might humiliate us. Somebody might tell us we're stupid or we don't know what we're talking about. And yet, the one who created all things, who chose you, who's given you you a purpose and a plan for your life, we won't speak those words. We won't tell people it's Jesus in my life that makes a difference. And I hope that you'll find him too. You say, well, what about separation of church and state? It's a lie. Placed in our right hand by a court after 200 plus years to the contrary in our country. A Supreme Court changed all that. When we are self-seeking and self-serving and focused on our personal comfort, pleasures, popularity, and power without giving credit to the one who gave these things to us, when we don't seek his will and his ways as to how he who gave us these things wants to use them in our lives, then we are walking in arrogance and we're inviting God's opposition in our life. Jeremiah 11.8, they did not obey or incline their ear to the Lord, but walked in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Wow. You see, that's what arrogance and pride lead to, an evil stronghold in our hearts. And none of us want to be recognized that way. Oh, not me again, we say, really? When we have calamity in our lives, who or what do we seek first? Probably ourselves. We suck it up. We work harder. We build bigger. We defiantly face that and defeat it and conquer it. Not. But does it even dawn on us to seek Jesus first and ask him his will and his way in all of us? 
Does he have a plan and a purpose in all of it? He always does. Matthew 6, 33, my life first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the rest will be added unto you. Seek first the king, Jesus. He's the king of heaven and the king of all things. Seek Jesus first, and then let him add the rest unto us. Jeremiah 17, 5, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, especially ourselves, and makes flesh his strength. But Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 3, call on me, Jesus says, and I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. Ways to be able to get out of trouble, ways to keep from getting into trouble, ways to find the purpose, the sweet spot of God's purpose and plan for our lives and our family, and how to be able to help them be free of the lies and, and the pride and all the things that put us in a position where God is opposing us instead of honoring us and blessing us. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. That's a conditional promise. He promises that we can do all things if we're in Christ, if we're depending on him, if we're honoring him, if we're humbling ourselves before him and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours. Show me what you want me to do, how to do it, and he'll meet you there. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. Not all my wants, all my needs. You know, so many things that we want are really detrimental to our health. How many times have we wanted something? One of the things I'm frequently telling uh, young men and women, teenagers that I work with, one one of the scariest things in life is God would say, I'll give you all that you desire. And I look at them and they go, wow, that'd be pretty cool. And I happen to know their life story. And so I go, really? You remember that girl or that guy that you thought were just the best thing in the entire world? You could hardly stand it. You desperately wanted them to be your boyfriend or girlfriend. And then it turned out to be an incredible shipwreck. Do you really want that back again? Oh, maybe not. And that's the same way with us. So if we're honest with ourselves, there's so many things that we go, Lord, just give me this. And later we find out, oh, Lord, thank you that you did not. And sometimes he says yes, and then we regret it. So let's ask him for his will and his ways and his provision, not ours. Most of us are too preoccupied with ourselves, self-assuring, self-seeking, self-counsel, self-promotion, self-pleasuring. We think more of ourselves than we ought to. You see, humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less often, much less often, and thinking much more about Jesus and his will and way in our lives. Philippians 2.3 says, with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. With humility of mind, let each of us regard Jesus and others as more important than ourselves. That was the paraphrase of that. When was the last time that you considered others first? And what is the Lord's will and way in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, and especially with our time? Are we humbling ourselves before him, regularly opening his word, asking him to guide us and direct us, humbly saying, not our will, Lord, but yours be done? Are we following Proverbs 16:20 and holding on to that and being motivated by that, where he says, he who gives attention to the word shall find good? 
Are we seeking the good in our own abilities, our own talents? That doesn't mean God doesn't want you using your abilities and talents and resources, but he wants us to use them in the way that he has for them. They're given to us for a purpose with his plan to be able to make a difference in the world around us, to bless us and to put us in a sweet spot where everything is significantly better for us. Not necessarily easy, that's for sure, but always better for us. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. Man, when God exalts you, it's overwhelmingly humbling to be in that place in life. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It restores my soul. It makes me wise, rejoices my heart, and enlightens my eyes. It is true, and by it I'm warned. There's great reward in following and obeying it. We can never be in that place with a prideful or arrogant heart. We'll never experience any of those blessings except through humility, going to the Lord regularly saying, Lord, thank you that you're freeing me. Lord, you're freeing me from my pride and my arrogance, freeing me to have the blessings that you have for me, freeing me to be able to hear your word and know that you're talking directly to me and freeing me to be able to have the faith to trust you and walk with you and find myself doing great and mighty things that I do not know. Find myself knowing how to bless my family, how to win them back, how to rescue them, and freeing me to how to be able to love supernaturally, not just my, my spouse and my family, but those around me also, how to love you more and how to trust you more. John 8, 31 and 32, you'll hear me probably quote this verse almost every podcast. If you'll abide in my words, that means live and dwell on them, you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's that freedom again. Free from our pride, free from our arrogance. My brothers and sisters, I don't believe there's a way to be able to be free from our pride and our arrogance, free to walk in God's humility apart from being in God's word and having our faith built, hearing the word of God spoken to us by the spirit of God and having our faith built to trust him more and to not try to make it happen in our own strength, in our own pride, in our own way, but rather to be able to walk humbly with our God in places that we never thought we could ever be and achieve. But for us as individuals and as a nation, we need to return to Jesus and we need to follow him. Matthew 16, 24 says, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Deny myself means deny my arrogance, deny my pride, deny my disrespect of the Lord and die to myself, to my will and my ways and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. He died for us. Could we ask any more of ourselves and to be willing to die to our wills and our ways, our pride and our arrogance, so that we can honor him and follow him? Humble ourselves to the point of dying to our will and our ways, bending our knees and our hearts to seek him and his will and his plan for us. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, that's supposed to be us, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. You want your home, your family, your community, your country, your world healed? Starts by us, individually humbling ourselves. Remember, 
Matthew 23, 12, if we humble ourselves, he exalts us. Proverbs 15, 33, before honor comes humility. Before honor comes humility. Pride is simply man's attempt to steal the honor that's not yet been given to him by God. And it won't be given to him as long as he walks in his arrogance. Proverbs 8, 13, pride and arrogance, God hates. Wow. Are you hearing me? God hates it because he knows the damage it does to us in our lives. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Wow. A haughty spirit before fall. That's what we face when we walk in our arrogance and in our pride. James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11, 2, with humility we find wisdom. Proverbs 25, 2, the Lord teaches the humble his ways. And Psalm 37, 11, the humble will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Our loving Heavenly Father desires to bless America, to bless his children, to bless his world. But because of our arrogance and our defiance and our pride, he can't bless us the way that he wants to. That's why he commands us, Ephesians 4.2, walk with humility. Micah 6.8, walk humbly with our God. Zephaniah 2.3, seek humility. 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourselves with humility. Colossians 3.12, put on humility. Jeremiah 9.24, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Humility is the example that Jesus gives us. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am gentle and humble in heart. So what about it, my brothers and sisters? Are we going to let this just fall away? Are we going to get on our knees today and say, Lord, examine my heart. See if there's any hurtful way and lead me in the way everlasting. God exalts the humble. And our nation, and our families, and our kids, and our spouses, and our communities need God's blessing. And it'll never happen until we affect the humility that he wants us to have by submitting to him, being in his word, asking him daily, Lord, Make me a man of humility. Do I hear an amen out there on that? I hope so. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss another episode of Monty Sharp and the Gatekeepers Initiative. Don't forget, each of us has our gates of influence in our lives that can radically change the world around us. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to being with you again next time. May the Lord richly and wonderfully bless you.